Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for the great hospitality and more welcome than we have received. And I know when Kevin comes to, Kevin and Tanya come to uh, uh, Kansas City, that they're, they're just part of our church because we've known them so long. And we've been through so many things together. In fact, when we adopted Lita, and we were finally able to bring her home. Uh, we flew from Murmansk to Moscow, and then from Moscow to, uh, uh, let's see, it must have been JFK, and in JFK we had to go through all this processing and everything. And when we got off of the plane in Kansas City, there were about 20 of our people there at the gate holding up signs like, welcome home, Lita, and stuff like this. And this poor 14-year-old Russian girl looks at this, not understanding a single word that is being said. But she said that she knew, that even though she, it was a, a little overwhelming, that she was accepted and, and she was loved. And, and so, like I said, we've been through a lot together. And we have, I'm, I'm so glad, you know, Kevin told me that when we first, I first said, I think I can come on the 10th. And uh, there was a function that, you know, the evening, last Sunday evening, and uh, we got to go, and we feel quite at home here. You guys are, you guys are awesome. Anyway, um, I want to talk tonight about the power of gathering. The power of gathering, and I'm going to show from the scripture why it is absolutely essential that we do something. We live in an age when people think they can do something, everything virtually. They can work virtually. They can, you know, they don't even need to go to the grocery store. They can just get online and order everything. It would be delivered to the door. You go to Amazon or to Walmart.com or Target.com or whatever and order whatever and they'll bring it. That you can't worship God in the, the way God intended for us to be. Uh, there is something about when we, and we're going to talk about that, when we gather together. Uh, and we are, this is a continuation, and I'm going to kind of hit some high points tonight because I've only got one, I was thinking about it the other day, I only have one shot at you, and so uh, we'll, one more shot, so we'll, we'll be done by 10. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I can count on Shalene, I can always count on Shalene, she's in there. Hallelujah. But we used this scripture the other night, Matthew chapter 10, and uh We'll read that again. It's beginning with verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, if you just stop there, it would sound like Jesus is saying, I'm going to make this walk as hard as possible for you. I mean, if you've you know, read through Western eyes. Uh, in fact, there's one place over at Luke when he talks about taking up the cross, that it says a multitude was following, and he stopped and he turned around and said to them, you know, you've you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. And the cross, our cross individually, is whatever it is, whatever ministry, whatever life, our Father has for us. None of us, even those of us who were uh, planned pregnancies, unplanned pregnancies, it does not matter. You and I were in the mind and heart of God long before we were born. And He has a place, I, I believe, I can prove by Scripture, that each of us, when we're born again, we're born again in our spirit, is, the, or are, I should say, gifts and the, the callings of God, and that what we do, what our task to do spiritually for the rest of our life is to allow God those to, to develop those in us. 
that we may be imagers for him. We were created in the image of God. That has nothing to do with our appearance. It has everything to do with the authority we have in God. And when God wants something taken care of, he does not show up himself in the flesh. He sends an imager. That's you. That's me. Oops. All right. I was just doing that down the side. But let's read the next verse. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. First of all, the word life. The word there, life there, is not zoe, but the, the word that means eternal life. And it's not the word bios, from which we get our prefix bio, as in biology, biological, physical life. It is the word suke. It is the word that means our soul life, our own desires, our own uh, goals and ambitions, etc. And he says, if you will lay all of that aside, you will find something that will far exceed what you have desired. How many of you believe that God knows better what will make you happy and, and, and satisfy your heart than you do? Have you ever purchased something that you just knew was going to be a great deal of fun and then after you got it, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you had this vacation plan that it was going to be huge fun, spent tons of money on everything. It was like, and when it was over, it's like, eh, it was all right. There's none of that in God. It's, in God, it's like, this is awesome. But sometimes the trip between here and there can get a little bit tedious, but that's okay. He says, lay aside everything and follow me. You know, lay down your life. Lay down everything you want. Lay down all your, um, all your goals, all those things like that. Let me, uh, let me establish your goals. Let me dictate those things, because I know how I made you, and I know how you fit. And he, when he was saying, "If you love me, if you don't love me that much, you won't do that. You, you won't find your life if you don't love him first. That's what I was talking about the other day about intimacy. Well, let's go. Now, with that in mind, let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And this is probably, I mean, most of you in here quote this. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and Manaitan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Look at verse 2. While... While, I mean, during the time. Everybody, everybody say it with me. During the time. Okay. While, uh, while uh, John and Cassidy and Celine and uh, Curtis and, and if I missed anybody, please, Larry. Larry. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, we're up here. Uh, you know, while they were playing and singing and worshiping the Lord, um, a couple of little children, including one that belongs to me, were, my, my grandson, were down here uh, worshiping with the, uh, with, with the flags. Can you, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, this could be distracting, but they did seem to be bothering anybody. I want you to think about when Jesus had a multitude of people in front of him with no restrooms, no ushering crew, as far as we know, people coming and going, and all kinds of stuff. And he, you know, he, he, seemed to, he seemed to do okay. Well, why? During the time that they were ministering to the Lord. What does that mean, ministering to the Lord? They were loving on the Lord. They were worshiping. They were adoring, as we talked about the other day, and praising. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, God spoke. While they were ministering, they were gathered together, and they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. It doesn't say they were seeking God about anything. It doesn't say that they were. It just says they were together, and they were worshiping, what we would say worshiping, adoration from their heart. And the Holy Spirit said, said, apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, the work to which I have called them. So when we, we come together and we begin to worship God, and I mean worship from the Spirit and adore Him, that creates an atmosphere 
in which the Holy Spirit can speak and wants to. We don't know how he said it. It might have been through a prophetic utterance. It might have been uh, tongues and interpretation. I, I, don't, I don't know how he said it. But he did say it. It says the Holy Spirit said. One of the things that we have to realize is we are to gather to give, not to get. We come to give, not merely to receive. They were ministering to the Lord. Uh, in some governments, uh, individuals, you know, particularly like in Canada, for instance, you'll have the minister of defense and the minister of justice and the minister of whatever, meaning that, and, and that is the servant thereof. They are the ones who are ministering. And when we, you know, uh, I'm known as a minister, as a servant, and then I'm serving the Lord and, and, and serving the people. And so they were ministering, they were waiting on the Lord, they were ministering to him, they were they were serving him, they were, uh, it would be, you know, let me get to an illustration of this. Now we go to Luke 17, beginning Luke 17, and beginning with verse 6, if you'd like to look this up. Luke 17, verse 6, and the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted and the sea, and it would obey you. Now, most people just stop right there and talk about how, well, you know, when we have faith, we'll speak. But Jesus wasn't done. He goes on to say, which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? Will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. He goes on to say, and when you do that, you don't accept praise. You say, I've just done what I should do. But you, one of the things I think we forget is that when we come together, the worship, you know, we, I'm probably need to share this. I was talking with Kevin about this the other day. You can go into the church fathers and and find in the church fathers a description of a church service, a gathering of believers from the 200s. And while I am trying to do this from memory, the fact it says they come on the first day of the week, which of course will be Sunday, and they come from all the surrounding areas, and they said we will gather. And then we would sing hymns to God. They would worship. Then they would have a reading, and I love the way they put this, from the memoirs of the prophets and the apostles. Because they had some of the scriptures already, because they were the, the corpus of our New Testament, the body of our New Testament was being uh, assembled at that time. But they had some calling, they might have a calling scroll, they might have one from Peter, they might even have uh, a gospel, you know, if, who knows. But anyway, he's, he said we would read publicly from the memoirs of the apostles and the, and the prophets, followed by a homily. One of, you know, one of the elders would teach and preach for a while, and then they would enjoy communion. They would take the Lord's Supper. And sometimes they would have a meal afterwards, other times they would just break up and go, everybody would go home. Now tell me that does not sound a great deal like what we do today. 2,000 years later, well, 1,800 years later, and they've been doing it all along. I know that there are people out there that will tell you. I, I remember reading a book by a guy that said that the house church, this was probably 20 years ago, that the house church movement was the future, that that's the way everything was going to go, that that was the way it was in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, the the primitive church, the ancient church, the early church, whatever you want to call it, and that, you know, that, that gathering together in, in large groups was never part of the church. And, and I, I read that, and I'm an educated man, and I look at that and I go, how intellectually dishonest can you possibly be? Because the early church gathered in the portico of Solomon. Luke even says it in chapter 24, they were daily in the temple. 
And that's where I believe they were. And see, when I was early to Pentecost, they rent the upper chamber. They were all of one accord. Anybody ever seen that besides me? When the Holy Ghost descended, and from oh Lord's empowered us now. We sing that song. But they weren't in the upper chamber. They were out there in Solomon's portico, right in front of everybody. And when the Holy Spirit began to move, and how many of you have ever heard of cloven tongues? You know, and I went to this thing in Dallas called the Miracle in Pentecost. Beautiful painting. It's as big as this room. I mean, it's gigantic. And over every disciple's head was this little tongue that was split, little cloven tongue. That's not what the Greek says at all. It says that the tongue, that the fire appeared, and then the tongues distributed themselves to each and every believer. Now, no Jew who was there could have possibly missed the significance of that, because when the glory of God appeared over them, it was like the pillar of fire by night. And he is saying that my sanctuary is no longer this building. My sanctuary is right here. And then it's cloven to cleave. Literally means to split. And they went and went out over approximately 120 little tongues. I know we use that term today about a tongue of flame over each and every individual. And we know what happened next. Big stuff. But what were they doing? I'm sure they were worshiping. They were, you know, I can't say that for certain. But the fact is, they were together. They were all together in one place. And when we come together, the first order of business, the, the worship service is not, I'll just be honest with you, when I first came into the, I, I would say Pentecost, except I really wasn't a Pentecostal. I was a charismatic or a charismaniac, or whatever, you know. I was, a, I was a charismatic, and there was a lady who stood in the office of the prophet, used to come to our church, she's gone to be with the Lord now, who used to say, your pastor is such a, a, a blessing because he came through the charismatic movement, and she said, and she's from Texas, and she said, and that is what I want to emphasize, is he came through it. He didn't get stuck in it. <sighs> she told us 20 years ago that a spirit of insanity was being released on the United States of America. And we're all saying, well, what does that mean? Well, now everybody knows. <laughs> when we come together, I used to believe, I used to think, you know, I sure wish they'd get done with this singing because I don't hear Buddy preach. I sure wish they'd get done with this. And I confess that that was me. And it wasn't until I grew a little while before I realized that the worship service was not preliminary. That was us getting an opportunity to minister to him. What I was interested in was coming to church for him to minister to me. And he's more than willing to do that. You know, when Jesus said, if you love me more than your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter, we have to remember that Jesus walks the walk and he walks his talk. That means he loves us that much. And he just, all he asks is that we reciprocate. And so what he says here is when we come, we've been plowing or plowing or tending sheep or, you know, fixing cars or cleaning carpets or whatever it is we do. And when we come in, we prepare something for him to eat. In the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you, we have a Sunday night class that's about like this. And for 28, 29, 30 weeks, we went through the book of Leviticus. Who does that? But there, it is so rich. And then after Leviticus, we went straight to Hebrews. And Hebrews just when you understand. First of all, you cannot read Jesus back into the law. No way to do that. Because Jesus is greatly superior to the law. But they had what was called the Zavak Shadami. 
the peace offering or the fellowship offering. And in the fellowship offering, and a lot of times you'll see that they, you know, they sacrifice so many thousand sheep and so many thousand the people rejoiced and everybody ate. And you're wondering, how's all this go down? Remember that in the fellowship offering, the peace offering, that the animal would be slain and that God would get his part. That was the lobe of the liver, the fat, the entrails, with a little bit of salt, the salt of the covenant on it. And then that was thrown into the fire and ascended in smoke before Yahweh. And it was a soothing aroma, a sweet-smelling savor. It was understood, and they knew better than this. I mean, they knew, but they that's why God said, you know, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. In Isaiah, he said, I'm the cattle. Do you think you're feeding me? But everybody understood that that was the, the fat was the Lord's. Then the shoulder went to the priest for him and his family to eat. The rest of the animal was for the family that brought it as an offering, and they would eat their part. The priest would eat his part, and then God would eat, in scare quotes, his part, and it is a, it is a type of the communion meal. And so the first thing to go up was the smoke, and that is... The fat, that was the first thing to be offered. He, that's what we see here, that he says, prepare something for me to eat, properly clothe yourselves. Don't tell people who go to church today, properly clothe themselves, they are not going to listen. Serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward, you can eat and drink. Isn't that interesting? In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul tells us about that presence of God. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. I love that. Are being transformed from Golgotha into the same image. Again, this has nothing to do with appearance. It has everything to do with what we are, who we are, and whose we are. When you go over to the Old Testament and it says, when God says, let us make man in our own image, that is not a conversation. And I know I used to believe this, I've heard that thought, but as I you know, as I grew in my understanding of the scripture and was trained, I began to realize and have been taught that that was a conversation God was having in his divine counsel. You know, God created humanity to reign and to administrate this earth on his behalf. That's what we're called to do. We are his imagers. And he was going to rule the earth through Adam and Adam's children. Does he have to do it that way? Absolutely not. He doesn't need a divine counsel. He doesn't need... You know, have you ever read over in um, Daniel, where Daniel has this vision, and he said, and thrones, plural, were set up. Thrones, plural? Why would we need thrones? Because... Yahweh sits on the throne, and there are angelic watchers, watcher class spirits, that sit as part of his council. There's a real good illustration of that in other places, but you do not have time for that. Some people find it very strange when they read it, but if you understand that precept, you know that, that there was nothing strange about it at all. My point is that God intended for the rulership of the earth to be a family business. And we are sons and daughters of the owner. Is that good news to anybody besides me? All right. So when we come into his presence and we adore him, it is like the smoke of the Zabachon or the Ola, the burnt offering that goes up before him. And where you see sin offering, that word is actually the word chetat which means a purification offering. 
It's not until you get into the trespass offering, the asham, which is actually for some sort of a, a thing where there's a problem there. And when, when you realize suddenly, ooh, I messed up, you know, and you want to keep, you want to be able to approach Yahweh, you take your bull and your gold or your, your are, is anybody besides me glad that we don't have to bring that to church with us every <laughs> Sunday? Well, I, we have in our church, you said, God doesn't want your bull. <laughs> Why is that funny? Anyway, but we all with unveiled face, God wants us to come into the Holy of Holies. Jesus has made a way into the presence of the Father, a new and living way to come into the very presence of the Father and to behold Him. And notice here it says, is in a mirror. I had an experience when I was in Germany when we were in the army. And I kept saying, oh God, I just want to see you. You know, just like your typical new, freshly filled with the Spirit, on fire for God and everything. And Catherine and I were married. And we were living in the top, the attic apartment of a German. We were not command sponsored because, you know, neither one of us had any intention of realistic. <laughs> and you had to have so many, you had to be, you had to have a complete foreign service tour before they could give you uh, base housing. And so, we were living what we used to call on the economy, and our landlord was Herr Kurt Broy. And uh, uh, Mr. Broy, I should say Herr Broy, was a very nice man. And, and we lived in the very top, uh, the attic apartment. Literally, when you go into the bathroom, it was almost like this. You know? And I, you know, I kept saying, oh God, I just want to see glory, I just want to see glory, you know. And I didn't say, show me an angel, you know, or something like that. You know, most people done that at some time or another. And I've been praying that. And then one, you know, one one morning, you know, early morning I got up, had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And so after as I'm getting ready to leave the bathroom, I look into the mirror and I saw my face and my face was just beaming. It was it was like just radiant. And that's one of those days where I looked at it and went, that's cool. <laughs> I was so tired. I said, well, oh, that's cool. You know, and I went to bed, back to bed. And I woke up and go, wait a minute! What was that? <laughs> and later the, the Lord began to, he said, you wanted to see my glory. There it is. All of us, uh, all of us are beings of light. All of us are radiant with that light and that glory of God. And the closer we get to him, the more brightly it shines. Everybody saying that it's a good preaching. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. In his presence, we are transformed. In, you know, it says in, in, uh, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Being transformed is an ongoing thing. Not reformed, transformed into the same image, his image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. All right. We go back to Acts chapter 3, and it says, or, and, you know, well, I want to quote uh, Peter from Acts chapter 3. Remember the fellow with the, you know, silver and gold, why not such, I have you right in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk, seizing by the right hand, correct, get, the guy jumps up. Here's a guy who has never walked, and I mean never walked. All of his bones had to be strengthened, all of his ligaments, all of the atrophy that would have been there, all gone, and then suddenly he didn't have to learn how to walk. He knew how to walk. God just did multiple miracles there because we see that he was walking and leaping and praising God. And all of the people were taking note of the fact that that's the guy that used to be the beautiful gate of begging. And they're, they're going, what's going on? So Peter preaches what is recorded as his second sermon. And this is the way he closes it. In verse 19 of Acts chapter 3, he says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, I would love to talk about repentance, but we don't have time. So that your and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing. Here's an interesting thing. The word anatutsis, which is translated refreshing, the core of it is the word soul, suke. In other words, 
God comes and does exactly what David said. He restoreth my soul. Have you ever thought about the fact he makes me to lie down in green pastures? And I don't know if there are any sheep people in here, but sheep won't lie down until they eat. And what? Sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> or me. And, uh, and when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, there was much grass in that place. And he had them recline on the grass. There's Psalm 23 being literally fulfilled. And so, well, let me, I, I got to share this. Is that thunder? Nice. That would be nice. That's my point. Lord, pour it on. You know, it's, probably, it's probably a child falling. Anyway, gentleman I knew, who was a uh, who was a who was a pastor, nice sized church of uh, well, he was in California, Washington. The Lord spoke to him and said, "I want you to go on the road. I want you to travel. I want you to teach." And he said, Lord, I'm not a spring chicken. Because he was already in his late 60s, probably my age, or maybe even just a little older, when the Lord said that to him. And he said, you know, my church takes good care of me. I love me. These people love me. I love them. It's all, you know, Lord, and if I travel, I don't, you know, I just don't know if I'll be able to make it. I just don't know if, you know, the, you know, they'll, I'm at the mercy of whatever they offer, and all this, and I'm just... You know, he said, I always take care of people, but I, you know, I'm just like that. And he said, the Lord told me, he says, you never quit being my sheep just because you get old, son. And he said, even if you don't have any teeth in your head, I will rip the grass out of the ground and I will put it in your mouth if that's what it takes to feed you. I'm telling you, we, we serve an awesome and so it says, he says, repent so that in order that specifically so, he not times, not a time, times of refreshing. The word that's translated times there is chiroi. Chiroi, it means specific appointed times. God has appointed times that he wishes to refresh us. That's why, and you can, I'm not saying you can't worship at home, and you can't get blessed at home, because you can. In fact, you should be doing those things. But when we come together, that's where Jesus said, I will be in your, wherever two or more are gathered in my name. If you put it within the context, it's the gathered church. It's not like a Bible study or something of that nature. And he says, there I am in the midst of them. And what is he there to do? He is there to lead the worship of the Father through his Spirit. How do I know this? Because it says in Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one, all from one Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And yes, that word translated congregation is the word ecclesia, the same word that is elsewhere translated church. In the midst of the church, I will sing your praise. I guess I'm the only one who's impressed by that. But anyway, move on. We are. I'll get loud. I'll Now, I want to. When we come back to. When we come back to that. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, where he says, Times of refreshing. The word translated refreshing also has a secondary meaning, which is very. which is related. And it is. It means not just to refresh, but to relieve. To relieve. Have you ever been stressed? Some of you are old enough to remember the commercial. How do you spell relief? <laughs> remember the old? Uh, 
Was that Tom Tom? Was it Tom's? So wrong brand. And how do I spell it? J E S U S. We are not just, you know, I, I you know, um, we talk about refreshment. I think about how I, when I played football in school, I loved it when the weather got cooler. Because you can imagine in Oklahoma, we were doing two a day practices in August. And, and oh, it was brutal. And then, you know, we play our, uh, the round robin would be like either Labor Day weekend or the weekend after that. And then we'd get into the season. And it wasn't until late September, usually, that the weather began to cool. And man, when the weather would begin to cool and the humidity would drop, I mean, I felt I could run through a true family over a wall. And, you know, because of that colder air and oxygen, that extra oxygen content and all that. And I just loved it. And it was it was refreshing. Has anybody ever floated the Colorado River in, in, in or the Arkansas River in Colorado? And you're doing the rafting thing. And they tell you, if you fall out of the, the raft, the water is not cold. It is refreshing. <laughs> and that's when I said, this is melted snow, dude. You are not fooling me. I want a wetsuit. And I was really glad I got one because we went into the refreshing water. <laughs> How? We're relieved. How would we be relieved? Well, you know, the other night we talked about, the other day, we talked about the manifold grace of God. God has manifold ways of meeting us when we're in crisis, meeting us when we're in turmoil, meeting us when we're in a, in a struggle, meeting us when we have something going on, and relieving, relieving the tension, relieving whatever it is. We don't always get exactly what we want or when we want. In fact, in my case, that never happens. But seriously, and but you know whether it's healing, whether it's direction, we're going to talk about that in a second, or whether it's deliverance. That, you know, all of those things are there and held or are contained in that understanding of that word refreshing. How many of you have ever been in a place where you know it was just heavy on your whatever, and somebody just offered you a word of encouragement that they may not even have known word, the state in which you, you found yourself, and there was just something about that that pierced that situation, and it's like, yeah, I'm one, uh, I'll give you an example, uh, a minister that Kevin and I both hold in high esteem was pastor in the church, and he said they were in a really bad situation about something, and the board was together, the deacons, this was a mainline Pentecostal church, and they were talking about it, and he said the more they would talk about it, the more nervous they would get. And then pretty soon it went from nervous to fearful. And then it went from fearful to near hysterical. And finally one of them looked at him and said, My God, Pastor, what are we going to do? And he said, We're just going to act like the Word of God is so. And he said, The guy went, Oh, yeah, that's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> just sometimes. We just need somebody to just put the arm around us and say, in through the nose, out of the mouth, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. So first is transformation. Second is refreshing. Third is direction. When we are gathered, we are in the presence of God. We'll get revelation. Oftentimes, it doesn't have to come right then, but we will get revelation of what God has for us in the direction he wishes us to go. We'll get that sense of a drawing. In John chapter 16, and verse 13, Jesus said this, but when he, the spirit of truth, and you could say the spirit of reality, and do the Greek no harm there. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I love the Greek word for guide because it is the word path, you know, or way turned into a verb. He will wave. 
He will, you know, he will path you. He will, it doesn't make sense in English, but it does in Greek. You know, he will show you the Hadas. He will show you the way. He will guide you into all reality. Now, when you turn on the TV today, you see one of our politicians talking, you know that's not real. <laughs> and you know it's not true. Because their lips are moving. Right? And so, and I'm just being brutally honest. Okay, let's just face it. I mean, we're being lied to on a daily basis, and that should not surprise us, because as I said the other day, Jesus said in the last, but both in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, the three passages where he had said something, you see all these magnificent stones? Not one of them is going to rest upon another. This whole thing is coming down, which it did approximately 35 years later when Titus Vespasianus moved into the area, from swept into the area from the north, and tore it all down. And one of the reasons the Jews weren't prepared was there was such infighting among the Jews that they were not prepared to deal with the Romans. And somebody, in fact, burned down the big building, the warehouse that had the foodstuffs for the city in there to try to force everybody to have to live in faith. <laughs> so in other words, political idiocy is nothing new. And when, you know, they, so they said to him, well, when is it, and it was a confidential briefing, there was just three of his disciples sitting there, it doesn't, you know, they took it, and so he, he told this, he said, you know, he, he said, well, he said, let the first thing out of his mouth, let no one mislead you. So that tells me that deception is the number one hallmark of the last days. Also, he didn't say, appeal to God to help to not be misled. He said, you don't let anyone mislead you. We are responsible for finding the truth, dwelling on the truth, and smoking out the lie. Are you with me here? I mean, he'll help you with that. He'll give you discernment. But we have to be pressing into him. And we have to know him. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons we want to read the scripture is because that's the Holy Spirit talking. Now, I'll take you another blast from the past. And you young people, please forgive me. But your elders remember Get smart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you believe? Don Adams. Missed it by that much. And when I was a kid, I used to love watching Get Smart. Agent 86, Agent 99, the Chief Larry lowered the cone of silence. It was hysterical. And, and it never worked. Because we couldn't hear each other. And so, another blast from the past. How many remember the Weekly Reader? Yeah, yeah we have it in school, the Weekly Reader. Well, in the Weekly Reader, if you would call it the back, and they been on the back or somewhere near the back, you could order, for really inexpensive, you could order books to read. Well, I was a voracious reader, and I was thrilled to see that there were Get Smart books. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa! And it's like 75 cents, you know, 50 cents. I don't remember how much it was, but much. I mean, it, you know, probably given inflation. But so I ordered some Get Smart books. And I opened it up and began to read, and I had the craziest experience. And that is that whenever I could tell that it was Agent 86 talking, I could hear Don Adams' voice in my head. I'm like, this is bizarre. <laughs> and guess what? You stay in here enough, yeah. and you come into the presence of God enough, and you soak. I heard today that the kids are going to have a soaker or something. Is it for, a what? Super soaker. Super soaker. Here, coming up pretty soon. And our grandson goes, I want to go! We had to break it to him, you know. We're, we're going to be long gone, son, by that time. Well, can we drive 16 hours or 22 hours to come back to it? <laughs> we can spend the night in the car. It'll be fun! <laughs> yeah. Dear Lord. And 
something in a hurry. Why? We don't want to be in a hurry. Why? You know, I used to think, you know what? If we don't get up and get to work, you got to get the work. If you don't get the work, then, you know, we've come together. We have missed our calling to come together. No. Our calling is to worship Him. And once his, when his presence shows up, I tell God all the time, if you don't want me to preach, I'm fine with that. Whatever you want to do. And it gets awkward. Because we're used, you know, we get five seconds of silence and we're ready to change radio stations. You know, or the TV goes blind for half a minute. You know, ten seconds. And so, when it, and it, if it gets quiet and nobody says anything, nobody's preaching, nobody like that, then I'm left alone with my thoughts, and God, he might talk to me. Yeah. And I've had God talk to me in those times, and there have been times that he said, by the way. He'll show us the way. He'll show us the path. Remember Acts 13 and 2. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, Unto the ministry whereunto I have called them. See that I read from the American Standard, quote the King James, it happens all the time. Lastly, I want to go one place. Last scripture, I understand that is the usual signal. If I do this, my people go, okay, you know, this, that's a good sign. Go oh, by the way, your brethren in independence. You know, um, you know, Kevin is one of our people. And we consider you. I'm one of your people. So there we go. You know, I feel right at home here. I could attend this church easily and have a good time here. Just the presence of the Lord is awesome. And uh, but I, I, I want to go to Second Kings chapter three, and I want you to see how this worked, even in the Old Testament. We'll begin reading with the paragraph that starts at verse 4. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. Assuming some seeds are up here, they are 4. This is to keep the rest of the sermon from being too dry. <laughs> verse 4. Now Isha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder and used to pay the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand lambs. But it came about that when uh, uh, when that mess of the king Ahab Ahav died, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Yehoram went out to Samaria of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And then he sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. Now, you and I know that we are not to be bound together with unbelievers. And that is exactly what Jehoshaphat did here. And he was rebuked for it. But... Nonetheless, I want you to notice that even when you are out of the will of God, you do not cease to belong to God. And God does not disown you. There is how much condemnation? No condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. So the king of Israel went with the king of Yehuda and the king of Edom. <laughs> I mean, here they are lining up with Edom and made a circuit of seven days' journey. And when there was no water for the army the, the, uh, or the cattle that had followed them, and the king of Israel, then the king of Israel said, Alas, for Yahweh has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. This guy hasn't got a drop of faith. And but Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? Now, when it says of, Yah of the Lord, literally a prophet of Yahweh. And 
There were lots and lots of prophets of the land. We see those prophesying to Ahab. Go up, for the Lord will, you know, with these, you know, Hananah went to, had a pair of iron horns. He said, with these horns you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. Those were prophets. And finally, the king looks over and he says, you know, what says are, there no, are there no prophets of Yahweh here? And that's when the king said, well, there's one. Micaiah, but he never prophesies anything good about me. And so he sent for him, remember? And he said, you know, so when the guy goes to, to, to fetch Micaiah, he says, now, the, 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 the word of the prophets to him is uniformly good. Just get along with everybody. Just go along with everybody. Just don't make any waves. This is the passage to which I was referring earlier. And he said, Okay, so he goes before the king, you know, and the king of Israel, the king of Judah are sitting there, and they're on their thrones, and they're in their robes, and it's by the gate, the threshing gate, and he says, you know, he says, Yahweh says, go up and prosper, and even Ahab smelled the rat. He said, how many times must I adjure you, put you under oath, to say nothing but what Yahweh says? He said, I saw the sheep, Israelite sheep, scattered on the mountains, everyone who is leaderless and everyone who is on home. And that's when Ahab looked over at the king of Judah and said, you see that? I told you, he never says anything good about me. And he said, let me tell you what I saw. That's what the prophet said. I saw Yahweh sitting with his council. And he said, we're going to send Ahab up and we're going to, you know, it's time for Ahab to die. How are we going to do this? And one said one thing, and another said another, and there were spirits there. It's in the scripture. One said one thing, and another said another thing. One said this, and another said that, and another came and said, I tell you what, I, I've got a plan. And Yahweh said, but what? And he said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets, draw him up, and he'll die by the hand of the king of Aram. And he said, that'll work. Go do it. And a lot of people said, what? That's bizarre. That is the divine counsel. That's God in his counsel. He doesn't need a counsel, but he wants a counsel. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And he's wanting to draw us in. And we know whatever happened, you know, we all know what happened next. Well, let's come back here. And so he says, is there not a prophet of Yahweh here so that we may inquire of Yahweh by him? Anytime you see the Lord, and particularly in the American Standards, and L-O-R-D is in all caps, the Masoretic, the Hebrew text, says Yahweh. And I use, and the, some of the newer English translations are actually going to that now, and Yahweh, because Lord can mean anybody. But when you say Yahweh, I'm telling you, the enemy knows about whom you speak. But, and we're the same, you know, we were singing a worship song one day, and I turned around and asked one of my guitar players, I said, what do you think of that? And he goes, well, in the fact that the name Jesus doesn't appear anywhere in it, it's not too bad. I went, well, you have a point there. So we, we, we wrote him in. <laughs> my, min, my music minister says, I'm not sure the copyright laws allow us to do that. I said, sue me. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. So, now, uh, here we go. And Yehoshaphat said, the word of Yahweh is... No, I'm back up. Back up. I didn't get it. Um, is there not a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of Yahweh by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, well, Elisha, or Elisha, the son of Shaphat, ben Elisha ben Shaphat is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Eliyahu, Elijah. And Yehoshaphat said, the word of Yahweh is with him. So the king of Israel, and Yehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Did you catch that? They didn't summon him. They went to him. I predict the day is coming when people will seek out the children of God for a word, for help. Now, Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do you want? That's that's the essence of the Hebrew. What do you want? What am I got to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, Baal, 
and the prophets of your mother, Jezebel. And the king of Israel said, No, for Yahweh has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. Keep saying it, dude. And Elisha said, As Yahweh Sabbath, the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Let me rephrase that for you. If it weren't for the fact that Jehoshaphat said here, I would give you the time of day. Now I want you to think about the fact that Jehoshaphat was a righteous king. Even though he was aligning himself with an unrighteous man here. And he was not where he should be, yet the hand of God was for, the, for his protection was still on him. And he was the one who said, we need to ask God what to do here. So here they sit, the king of Edom, who is a spiritual mess, and with Yehoram, uh, the king of Israel, who is what they call today a hot mess. <laughs> and then here is Jehoshaphat, who is righteous, but not where he's supposed to be. And so the spiritual atmosphere is flat, you know. And so Elisha, but now, verse 15, bring me a what? A minstrel. Bring me a musician. I sometimes jokingly call our worship team the magicians. You know, you can do magic. Well, and it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of Yahweh came upon him. You know the rest of the story. Dig the ditches. Get ready. You'll not see rain. No, in fact, uh, he said, uh, so that you will drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a slight thing uh, in the sight of Yahweh. He shall also give the Moabites into your hand. You know, so, you know, and he told them everything that they should do. Bring me a minstrel. The music ministry is the ministry of helps in a massive way. You see over in the uh, Old Testament where David made instruments and the sons of Asaph would play those instruments and they would prophesy. Now, prophecy is not, and by that, they're not predicting the future. They are under the inspiration of the Spirit singing songs of worship and adoration to God. Righteousness is, well, what does it say over in the... Uh, Righteousness is, 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 is productive, it is profitable at all times. And that's why Jehoshaphat, even though he was out of place, it was because uh, he, and when Elijah, even though he's like, well, right now it feels like the Spirit of God is about 2.7 light years from here. Bring me a minstrel. You got one? And what did the guy begin to play? You know, you know, he wasn't playing sweet child of mine or something like that. He began to sing songs of adoration and songs of the worship of Yahweh. And when you sing, what, what, what did he begin to do? He began to feed Yahweh. He began to put the, the, the food on his table. And so what did Yahweh do? God the Father came through his spirit and told him, and his hand came on Elijah. And they knew what to do. So in worship, we find, and particularly in the gathering, but also at any time of life, transformation, refreshing, and direction. What I mean, you, you don't find a better deal than that anywhere. Anyway, Brother Kevin, I would be are there any questions? Um, you, can you repeat what you just said, the three? The third one is direction. What, one or two? The other two. The first one is transformation. That was Matthew 10, 37. And we talk about Acts 13 and 1, or Acts 13 and 2, Luke 17, 6 through 8, 2 Corinthians 3, 17.
that we are transformed. The second one is refreshing. And we go to Acts 3.19, where Peter said, times of refreshing. One of the reasons we come to church every week is we don't just drink water once. Tank up and go. No, we need we need to continue. Hebrews 2, 11, 12, Jesus is in the midst to lead the worship by the Spirit, obviously. And that it also and that, that's refreshing, it also means relief. Um, and then direction, number three direction. We use John 16, 13. And we talked about Acts 13 and 2 again for the Holy Spirit said. And then 2 Kings 3, 5 and following, where the three kings, Israel, Judah, and Edom, are, yeah, Edom were coming up against the Moabites and ran into what appeared to be a fatal problem. But as they worshiped God, the uh, hand of the Lord came on, showed them the way out, and provided the way out. Anything else? Well, I hope you get something out of it. And we hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.